for us, the angel was reeling to him of this woman. And we said in that message that the woman is uh, the church. The woman is the people of God. In this passage, we meet another woman. This woman is very different than that woman. So we have another one who, instead of being protected by God, as the woman was in the last passage, this is a woman who is leading people away from God. The imagery here is very provocative, right? I think about people who are walking down the hallway of the Hendrix Ballrooms when they hear that passage being read and they're like, what is going on in that room? Um, I mean, it, it, like today it is provocative. Then it was also provocative. Like this woman is a prostitute and she's in bed with the kings of the earth. And in this passage, she's sitting on this scarlet beast who's spitting out blasphemous words like what in the world is going on? She's drunk, but not with wine. What is she drunk with? She's drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Like this is a very powerful, provocative image. And she has a name and her name is Babylon. Now, we know that the book of Revelation is filled with symbols, right? And we've tried and throughout this series, if you've been able to be with us, we tried to work out some of the imagery. And sometimes, I mean, I just don't know. I've skipped a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of symbols, right? There's a lot of imagery going on. But for the original readers, I think um, a lot of these symbols made a lot of sense to them. Some, I think they would really understand right away. When we hear this, we think of Babylon. We're like, what is what is Babylon? They knew exactly who Babylon was. Let, let me think about it this way. One, one thing that I can nerd out on, and I hate that phrase, but I'm, it's so appropriate in this moment. One thing I can nerd out on very quickly is like logo designs. If you get me talking about logos, just buckle up. We'll talk for a bit. This is what I studied in college. I studied marketing and advertising and I, I, Worked as a graphic designer at an ad agency for a bit before seminary and before um, I went into ministry. And I still just, I love that world so much. If I get fired tomorrow, I hope I don't. But I would love to be a washed up graphic designer somewhere. I'm way outdated at this point. But I love talking about this stuff. I love, so I've got a podcast I've been listening to. And it is so nerdy. And it's in the name too. It's called the Logo Geek and it's, that's what it is. It's by this nerdy dude in the UK who just talks about logos. And it, if you listen to it, you would fall asleep. And I love it so much. And he did an episode recently on semiotics. Semiotics. Do you all know what that means? Semiotics, I guess it's way broader than just in graphic design. But semiotics is the study of signs and symbols and cultures. But graphic designers use symbiotics in logos. Think about it. Just just think about branding and different logos you've seen. There's symbols, and those symbols uh, maybe are creating a meaning, but sometimes they're deriving meaning that we already associate with those symbols to communicate something in the logo, right? Does that make sense? I was trying to think of some examples of this, but you know, the stuff that I came that came to mind was like we very much put an idea of like fastness and quickness and like logistical company logos. You think about the FedEx and there's the, the hidden arrow in there or like Amazon is the, the arrow of the A to Z. It's showing this sort of completeness. The Nike swoosh is famous for sort of just this idea of like movement. Um, let's just talk about this tonight. I was thinking about the North Face logo. 
Pal. Uh, I mean, it's a mountain. Um, you get uh, what's what's another example? We could go on. Patagonia. That's yeah, a mountain. That's true. Um, TikTok. I was thinking about the TikTok logo. It's a musical symbol, but also it's kind of like 3D. It's supposed to look like it's kind of like shaky and jumping off the page. I guess it's because TikTok makes you feel crazy. Um, that must be the reason they're trying to communicate. All right. Semiotics. John is using semiotics in his communication. When he says Babylon, his readers know exactly what that's the symbol for. So what is it? We've got to work to understand it a little bit more. Babylon is not just a location. It's not just a place in history. It's a symbol of something greater. Throughout the Bible, Babylon serves as a symbol of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and rebellion and immorality. You go all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel. We're not going to go through that story, but in that, in that story, you have these people who are in this land that becomes Babylon. And what are they doing? They're building a tower with their own resources sort of to reach to heaven. And, and the quote in that passage is, let us make a name for ourselves. And God scatters them. They're unable to make a name for themselves. Actually, they do make a name. It's called Babylon. You fast forward and Babylon now becomes this place throughout the Old Testament that's really seen as like the evil empire. Babylon is that evil city that took over Israel and sent God's people into exile. Babylon stands for the evil city that promotes life apart from God and seduces people as a prostitute into her room, into her bed, to convince others to live a life apart from God. That's the symbol. She does this through false promises of power, of pleasure, through industries, through systems, through culture. Through promising you an opportunity to make a name for yourself. If you will just fill in the blank. You see this beginning of verse 4 in chapter 17. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and Pearls. She's wealthy, right? She's rich. She has all the world's money and in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. She was proud of her sexual conquests. So she's wealthy and she's proud. Remember, there is a spiritual reality just underneath the physical one. And the claim of Revelation 17 and 18 is that there is a seductive spiritual force that wants to allure others into building their lives apart from God. That's the message here. For John and his original readers, the Babylon of the day was Rome. There's even a reference in the passage, I think we skipped it, but it's like to seven mountains. And the readers would have understood those seven mountains to be the seven mountains where they lived. And so what he's saying is that while you live in Rome, you actually live in Babylon. It's a code word. Babylon is Rome and Rome is Babylon. Rome has a certain Babylonianness to it. And it's not just Rome. In this passage, John says that Babylon is a great mother of prostitutes. So she's not just a prostitute. She has baby prostitutes. 
I mean, talk about imagery. But like prostitutes on, upon prostitutes, meaning there are other Babylons, baby Babylons all over the world, throughout all ages and in all places. There's a form of Babylonianness in all cultures. Daryl Johnson is one of the uh, commentators I've been reading a ton this semester, and he, he has this really great list where he talks about um, there are at least seven signs of understanding if you live in a Babylonian type of place. I want to give you his seven. He says, Babylon wants to promote sensuality in its culture. Babylon is full of injustices on every level. Babylon encourages the worship of things and products, stuff. Babylon promotes violence. Babylon is full of deception. Babylon is full of idolatry. Makes you wonder, do we live in the old U.S. of A? Or are we in another baby Babylon out here? It's pretty interesting, right? This text was recorded for us you know, 2,000 years ago. And it feels really relevant when we look at it like that. We'll come back to this in just a minute. But one thing I want you to see, and I'm going through this outline, we're talking about the figure of Babylon. Now I want to talk about the fate of Babylon because there's one thing that is promised of Babylon and of all Babylons, and it's this. Babylon will always, always fall. Most of chapter 18... We read some of it. Most of chapter 18 is just documenting the destruction of Babylon. And really all Babylons in this sense of the word. There's a day coming where the city will be judged by God for her evils and she will not stand. And those who identify as citizens of the city will fall with her. Chapter 18 documents the reactions to her destruction from those who are closest to it. Now, I'm going to admit something about the Internet that I do not get. And this may be a sign of age, and I'm willing to admit that. But I do not understand the popularity of reaction videos. What is going on in the Internet with reaction videos? Like, somebody explain to me how this started and why we care, what someone's face looks like when they're watching a thing that you're also watching. Maybe... There may be a deeper desire that I don't want to get into because it'll make you sad. I think we just want to talk to people. But anyway, what is like, why have we moved from like wanting to watch cat videos to wanting to watch cats watching cat videos? Which that actually sounds pretty great. I, I kind of get it now. But if you <laughs> imagine watching a cat. What, all right. Um, I guess that's the whole thing. So. Chapter 18 is like a 2,000-year-old reaction video. If you read the whole chapter, what you have is you have kings, and you have merchants, and you have sailors, and you have all of these other people who are watching the destruction of Babylon, and you're seeing their reactions. It is pretty interesting, because how does it affect them? Well, 18.8, let me read for you again a couple of verses says, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day and there will be mourning and famine. She'll be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord who has judged her. Verse nine says, and the kings of the earth, here's the reaction. 
the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, they will weep and they will wail. They will stand far off in fear and they will say, alas, alas, the great city, the mighty city of Babylon. Here's what their reactions are telling us. Babylon will fall. Babylon will be judged. Even in just a single hour. And those who buy what she's selling will go broke. That's what their reactions tell us. And by the way, Babylon did fall. The original city. And so did the Babylon Rome fell very quickly. This passage talks about in a single hour, literally within a week, Rome fell. Again, here's Johnson. Let me give you a quote. He said, Babylon falls because evil always self-destructs. Systems built on principles inconsistent with the living God simply will not endure. He says, Babylon, regardless of what other name she bears at any particular time, is always, always falling. Here's the point. Babylon can never deliver on what Babylon promises. The prostitute allures her victims, entices them in, and in the end she leaves them empty and broken. She falls, and so too does anyone who lays with her. So let's think about it. Are we in Babylon? Think about the list earlier. Do we see any signs of Babylonianness in our culture, sensuality or injustices, violence or deceit? Are we a culture that encourages the worship of things, products or money? Does our culture promote building a life apart from God? I, can, I think we can safely say that we are living in at least an iteration of Babylon. So does that mean this Babylon is falling too? In a spiritual sense, yes, and always. There is a reality beyond the physical one, but we really need eyes to see it. And this is what's really hard about this passage. And this is what's really hard about talking to you in this context. We're all on the college campus. It's a Tuesday night. You're in the middle of your semester. You've got a lot going on. And here we are in this room, and we're talking about how the world around us is falling apart. But you look outside, it doesn't seem like it, Right? We go about our days and it seems like, you know, people who are participating in the things described in this passage are doing just fine. And maybe that's you. And maybe you're like, I'm kind of getting away with it. I don't feel any issues with the things that I'm doing. This is where it's like, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's it's almost like you're, it's like we're, we're in a theater and we're watching a play on a stage and we're seeing the, the, the story play out on the stage and these characters. And then all of a sudden, as we're watching kind of this thing take place on the stage, we become convinced that that's reality. Like that's the only thing that's real. There's nothing beyond this. So much so that when the play ends and we walk outside and the sun is bright and we're kind of like, wait, this is what's going on out here. It's like this is what Revelation does. Revelation opens the theater doors for us to see what's really going on on the other side of the stage. Because we get caught up in the story right here and we need eyes to see. We need to be lifted up so that we can see reality. That's the gift of revelation. This is more real than that. We have a hard time believing it, but this is more true than even some of our experiences are. So 
If that's true of Babylon and all Babylons and Babylonianesses, then what do we do if we find ourselves living in such a place? Remember the original audience, they were experiencing persecution. They were living this out, rampant sexual immorality, injustices of all kinds, violence and idolatries, and John writes to encourage them. So this is meant to be encouraging. I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but this is meant to be encouraging for John. And it's going to get really encouraging over the next few chapters. Please come back next week. Pete's going to lead us in Revelation 19 next week, and I'm so excited for it and everything that comes after that. But as for now, what does it look like to live in Babylon? How do you live faithfully as a Christian, if you're a Christian, in this culture? So my final point is a field guide to surviving in Babylon. This all comes from the text. There's three things that I want to leave us with that this text encourages. The first is this. You need to know your true home. You need to know your true home. John is really pushing this in this passage. He's telling them you are not citizens of Rome. You are citizens of a lasting kingdom. Your closest allegiance is not with Babylon. She will fall. Your allegiance is to the king of kings who will never fail. And of his kingdom that there is no end. This is really the, the thrust of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. I did that as a series a couple of years ago, and I learned so much from that series. The whole thing is Jesus basically telling us how to live in this world. And we had it for our um, invitation to hear from God's word earlier, where Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John is reminding believers in Rome of who they really are. They're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're challenged similarly to really consider where do you live? Where does your heart most deeply reside? What do you live for? Who do you live for? Where is your home? Where is your treasure? I heard a quote this week that I think came from an old Puritan. It sounds like it did. Who knows? If, if you can't find it, just I came up with it. Um, here's the quote. Build no nest in these trees for the whole forest is condemned to burn. It's a good quote. And it's a good warning taken from this passage. Build no nest in these trees. This is not your home. Again, we need eyes to see this. We need the Spirit's help because this feels like home. (laughs) We try really hard to make it our home. But this is not your ultimate home. If you are in Christ, your true home will not burn because His kingdom is forever. So know that first. Know your true home. Second, and this comes explicitly from the text in verse 4. Two words. Come out. (laughs) He says, come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins. This is 18.4. Lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her, for her sins are heaped high as the heaven. This is the biggest warning that comes in this passage for believers. Come out. 
Don't get caught in the trap. Don't get seduced by the lies. Build no home here. Don't get caught up by the lies of Babel that say, let us make a name for ourselves. Get out. I was thinking this week a lot, um, and even today, about what are some of the ways that we are easily seduced to build a life apart from God in this culture. That'll be a really good question for you to consider this week. A few things came to mind. Certainly the way we think about money. Where does that come from? What is the primary reason you chose the major that you chose? If the answer is because it'll provide the financially stable life that I'm hoping for, then you've been seduced, right? I think about it too. I think about money a lot. I think about having more of it and what I could do if I had just a little bit more and the places I could travel and the comfort maybe I could provide my family and our kids. We're, we're so easily seduced by the promise of more in our culture so easily the way we think about our bodies we could go a lot of different directions with this but you may think you look at yourself in the mirror or you avoid it and you think if I could just lose five pounds if I could just fit into these specific clothes if I could just look like this person or maybe it informs you're, you're trying to put on weight. You're trying to put on muscle. You're trying to present this life to someone that you are the most athletic, the most fit person all around. The way we can so sort of obsess over our image, where does that come from? It's not coming from here. We're, we're so allured, right, by the messages around us. The way we think about, I mean, so many other things, our language our entertainment, sex, sexuality, the way that we think about so much is informed by our culture. John warns us, the angel warns him, (laughs) come out of her. That is your destruction. Don't go down that road. He goes back to Bonhoeffer that this has to be stronger than that. That is very strong. It's so strong. We need this. And what is this? Well, this is go- I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I'm totally fine with that. You need the Word of God. I need the Word of God desperately. The thing that's going to help us understand who we are in this world, nothing better than Scripture. We need the community of God. We need the church. You need the church. We need the church for the rest of our lives. What is a Sunday? It's not just a day that I'm going to have to get up again. I really want to sleep this Sunday. I'm going to have to go and sing these songs and see these people. And no, it is, it is a refresh button on us being a Lord for six days. We're so enticed. We need to come around the people of God. Come out of her. Come in to this church. Be with the people of God and be reminded of who you are. 
and of what really matters. We need God's word. We need God's people. We need to be formed by the truth more than we are by the lies. And the final thing is this. I'll I'll close with this. The final thing we need to survive in Babylon is this message that permeates the passage, which is simply this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think people can read this part of Revelation and get a little scared. It's a, I mean, it's a lot. And you kind of are looking around like, the message here is do not be afraid. Why? Here's why. It's right in the middle of the text. Because the lamb always wins. This is chapter 17, verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords, and He is the King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. The prostitute conspires with the dragon that we talked about last week, who conspires with the two beasts that come after that passage. If I had one more week, I would have done that passage. We skipped it. It's amazing. Chapter 13. Go read it. But they form this unholy trinity and they conspire together to attack the lamb. And in the end, they lose. That's the message of Revelation. Judgment is coming. They make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them forever and ever. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. Do not be afraid. I'm telling you, we live in a time and we live in a place where it looks like the lamb is losing at times. Ah, the culture. The culture got us again. And I tell you what, uh, when, when we've brought kids into this world, and into our family, you start to really feel this. Like sometimes it feels like the lamb is losing because of what your kids are going through. Like this is a hard message. We need to believe it. I need to believe it. Especially when it comes to those categories we mentioned, sensuality, violence, injustices, idolatries. I mean, the world is so broken. But Jesus promises us, in the end, the Lamb always wins. The Lamb always wins. I'll close with this picture. If you, um, if you and I are friends on Be Real, then you know... Last, uh, last Friday, I know, you, I know you follow very closely what I'm up to. Um, last Friday, our oldest daughter, Lucy, and I went to a play um, at the Clemson Little Theater, which is a little place in Pendleton where she takes classes and performs and plays. And we went to support some of her friends who are in a current production of The Giver. Some of you know that book and you love it. I did not know it. And it was way more intense than I expected. That book, whew, that, that play was something else. But you have these kids on the stage, and they're all like, in Clemson Little Theater, they're all like 8 to 12, and they're putting on this production of The Giver. And it's dark. It's dystopian. The story is, no spoiler alerts here. This is stuff you can read on Wikipedia. Um, the story is, it's in this future where they are in, these people are in this society, this community, that doesn't allow for any difference. And so they're in this, this sort of community that doesn't allow for emotion. It doesn't allow for, I guess, like color and weather as well. Like in the name of protecting the people in this community, they've created sameness across the board. Am I right so far, Giver fans? Okay. 
Well, the main, the protagonist of the story is this little boy named Jonas, who was a little girl in the play last weekend named Jonas. Jonas is a 12-year-old who, each, each person in the community, I guess, is given some sort of gift to serve. Big time in, in Kanto vibes on this part. Um, not as good music, but that's just my quick review. The, this little boy, Jonas, is given the gift. He's given the role. It's, it's more a role than a gift where he is selected to be the keeper of past memories, where he's basically to, to store and he's being mentored to store these past emotions and memories. And the line that stood out for me from the play, and maybe it's in the book, is that Jonas was selected because he had the capacity to see beyond. That really made the revelation alarm bells go off in my head when I heard it. And I've been thinking about it the last few days. He had the capacity to see beyond. I'm not saying we live in a dystopian community of the giver where differences are not allowed, but I'm also not saying we're not. The question is, do we have the capacity to see beyond? Can you see with the corrective lenses of the book of Revelation to know and really believe that this is not your home? And also, you are not your own. You were not placed on this earth to make a great name for yourself. You were placed here to show the world how great your father is. And how loving your Savior is. This is not all that there is. You cannot spend your days making the best possible life for yourself here. It is empty. and will always lead us empty. There is a life beyond this one. There is hope and meaning and purpose so much greater than our society of sameness would ever want you to see and experience. So, know your true home. Come out of this destructive city before it falls. And do not be afraid, because the Lamb always wins. Would you pray with me?